Christ. You cannot win. Um, oh my no, God. I cannot on that note. Hey guys, it's Lavetta. <laughs> and it's Miriam. And welcome to Notorious Women Podcast, a comedy podcast about some of history's most notorious women. Yes, yes. I can never win. That is... No. Uh, <laughs> that's how I'm feeling now. But uh, yeah, I am dealing with uh, some family, some personal family stuff, guys. So that's why I've been in Florida and just... Uh, so that's what's been going on behind the scenes. I don't want to get into it because there's a whole... I'll go into a rant. She will, I will do but that. I, I will speak for you and say, Lavetta's getting it done. That's what she's doing. She's getting I, it done. Uh, yeah, you are. It doesn't feel like it. I know that. I might be privy like to it. what exactly is happening. It's true. But I can just sum it up by saying, you know, you want Lavetta in your corner is all I'm saying. Oh, why it's are you going to make me cry? Well, I like to make you cry. That came out wrong. What I meant was... <laughs> Oh, All right. That was, that was very sweet. Um, but how you doing, my friend? How you doing this week? You know, I'm good. California this week is having like a heat wave in October. And I'm not oh. appreciating it. I'm not. Heat wave? What do you mean? Like, is it 96, 100? What's, what's going on? It's 96 and then tomorrow 100. And I mm. have small children. And small children apparently like to have carnivals in the fall. The fall carnival. That's fun. So the fall carnival is going to be when it is 97 degrees. Because, yes, I tracked it. I tracked <laughs> it. I went hour by hour. And the carnival starts at 4. Okay, it's going to be 97 degrees at four. At four. Oh. And you know, I'm, you know I'm running the slide, right? Okay, you know what? Welcome. That's enough about me. Okay. <laughs> I thought I was the one that's going to do the rant, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I took the rant this week. <laughs> rant on, my friend. No, I hear you. That 97 degrees, oof, oof. It's rough. No, oh. I mean, Florida's not that hot. I'm, in, I'm still in Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's very humid, but... Storms every day, so yeah, that's very Florida. Reminds me of yeah. my childhood. Uh, no, okay. So yeah, but I think we should get started today. Um, okay, Dukes, you got to tell me who's first. I don't know. Yes, I am first today, and okay. I. So let's get started, and let's just say that I came across this idea. So I was scrolling on Twitter. Yes, it's still Twitter. It's not whatever that other thing mm -hmm. is. I don't know. Um, and this woman was talking about her experience at a bar where she, this guy offered to buy her a drink and she said, no, she said something and his friends, he was with his friends and they snickered. And she said the look in his eye made Ooh. her realize that she had to be like, oh yeah, you can buy me a drink. And then later on that night, he spent the night talking to her and he was like, I almost blacked on you when that happened. And what that means is went off basically and not realize that he was going off on her and become hostile because she turned him down for a drink. And in the comments, all these women, we, cause every woman has this experience where whether it's like casual, you know, uh, you know, cat callers on the street or some guy down the street, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. a lot of men who don't know you think they have, they should have access to you, access to your yep. time and your energy. Yep. If you just say no, they get downright hostile. Yep. Um, and so a lot, and this is the thing I try and explain to men, even good men, men who don't believe. And I always go back to the whole Chris Rock thing. Yeah, I'm totally team Will because Chris was out of pocket and 
deserved them hands. Not necessarily on international television, but he deserved them fucking hands because a lot of guys were like, so you mean to tell me Chris Rock is still mad at Jada for turning him down all, all those years ago? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he probably Because is. the trifling man will hold a grudge against you because even though you were out of his league, he thinks he should have access to you and will hold yeah. it against you for 20 plus years. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I mean, it's true. The fact of the matter is women know how to turn down men. Yes, that it's we have not to, for survival. a matter uh-huh, for survival. Like you can't just say no. Men you can say, say, no say no all day. In fact, women walk in the room and assume it's a no unless they change their mind. Yeah. Right. So women have to I be mean, like, <laughs> you're so cute. Oh, hold on. My husband is calling me. My yep. father is on his way. My boyfriend is going to be here in like five minutes. We know the lines to say to get out of an awkward situation. Yeah. Because men, I mean, you've heard instances of a woman. I think recently a woman turned down a guy at a club and when she came out, he shot her like that, yeah. that kind of thing. Like, so anyway, I digress, but it got me to thinking. And then someone in the comments was, was like, yeah, men have been harassing women. They were even harassing women in like the 1800s when they were fully yeah. clothed. And, da, da, da. Yeah. and I was like, yeah. So I had found this uh, thing years ago. <laughs> of this, yeah. It's a diagram basically of showing women self-defense. Oh, in the late like 1800s or early 1900s. And so I was like, oh, oh I got this idea. So it leads me all of it. All of that leads me to my lady today. So my I'm notorious so woman today is okay. a woman by the name of Nan Davis. Okay. Nan Davis. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so my major sources for today's uh, topic is from this a Smithsonian Magazine article by Karen Abbott. Okay. Um, a Collector's Weekly article by Lisa Hicks and the Chicago Tribune article by Elizabeth uh, Greeway. Greeway. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Forgive me if I'm not. But and then there's many other sources. But basically, this is a story of the hat pen peril. I don't know what you just said, but I'm so excited. Hat Go on. Okay, so I'm very excited about this. So let's get into it. So at the turn of the century, there was this phenomenon happening that made men shiver in their boots. But made women finally begin to feel safe to venture out onto the street in broad daylight alone. You see, I love how they didn't. But anyways, they did not. You see, for the first time, American women were fighting back against harassers. Not only that, they were also being regarded as heroes rather than objects. Society was transitioning. This was during the Gilded Age which is the area, which is the uh, time period from 1871 through about 1914, 1915. And it was a, a time period where women were, didn't have to be escorted out by a man. They were, you know, um, this is the height. It was during the industrial revolution in America. And it was also right. a time where uh, department stores were opening. So different yes. Levels of women could go out and venture out either with each other, either with each other or by themselves just to walk around in the streets. Um, but this phenomenon also gave rise to what and it, and it became the beginning of the battle of the sexes that still rages on today. So it may seem like it's a little hyperbolic, that battle of the uh, the sexes, but it's true. Women okay. at this time 
they're always been harassing guys catcalling. And I don't mean just like, woo woo, baby, you're looking good. I mean, like guys who think that they can physically touch you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because there's mm-hmm. no longer a man accompanying you on the street. Yep. Yep. So harassers at the time were called mashers, a.k.a. a period slang for lecherous or predatory men. Mashers. <laughs> they had this a name. This is what they were called, which I, I think is a great man. name. Okay. Mashers. I like it. You're okay. Yes. But even that's a pretty, pretty word for something pretty nasty. So yeah. um, could you? Um, yeah. So something that was pretty nasty. So in the fact that. According to Stanford history professor Estelle Friedman, who wrote in her 2013 book, Redefining Rape, semicolon, sexual Uh violence in the era of suffrage and segregation in the early 20th century, she wrote in her book, quote, both black and white women in northern cities fought back, went to court and had men arrested. Really? She goes on to say, yeah. For her for being for being mashers, lecherous men in the street. She goes on to say, quote, the revolt against the masher signal an important transition in American women's public lives. Parallel to the quest for full citizenship as voters, the call right. for safety to travel alone meant greater access to both labor and leisure. Women yes. recognize that the street harassment impeded their mobility and marked them as intruders on historically male spaces, end quote. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. So so we're in this time period where women are venturing out a little bit more to have a little bit more independence and masters were a nuisance. But not only to yeah. um they were they masters was such a problem, her basically street harassment was such a problem that newspaper articles often ran uh columns that also showcase letters tons of letters that women had written and they were often accompanied by illustrations in these columns oh, wow for instance in october of 1902 the new york evening world compiled letters from women who'd been harassed on the l streetcars with a cartoonish looking illustration these mashers were not only not only nuisances according to the historian karen abbott in her book, Sin in the Second City, Madame's Ministers and Playboys in the Battle for America's Soul, she says that mashes derive pleasure from wielding power over women by hinting at sexual violence that might or might not that might or might not manifest. Quote, a masher knew the woman was uncomfortable and he drew perverse pleasure in having the power to do so to do that. Abbott tells me uh, says in, in an interview. She goes on to say, beneath the surface, the threat is there, letting women know that if they wanted more freedoms to venture out into society, then they would have to deal with this with that sort of attention. Mashing was a way to put women back in their places, police their activity, decisions and whereabouts, end quote. OK, this is why women are fucking angry. Yep. OK, this is yep. OK. Are you a feminist? Yeah, bitch. Yep. <laughs> Which all of this, so again, all of this is going around. Women are enjoying new freedoms, but then the yeah. harassers, the the mashers are coming out. And this led to what would be <laughs> labeled in the press, the hat pin peril. Hat pin. Okay. So a hat yes. pin for a your hat actual pin. hat. Yes. Women were fighting back using this fashion accessory. Mm-hmm. So a little backstory about the hat pen. It, it's been used basically since the 1400s in uh, the Western world, uh, but they were usually quite small. But beginning in the 1850s during the Industrial Revolution in America, the more the modern hat pen became much longer and more deadly. 
Ah, so the more excellent. modern hat pins in the 1850s were attached to straw hats to women's mm. hair only were mm-hmm. only about six to eight inches long. But in a few decades after the popular American singer actor Lillian Russell uh, started oh, yeah. popularizing it around 1890, women started wearing huge wide brimmed hats with big up swept hairdos held together with hat pins as long as 10 inches. Yes, that's what we need. Go on. And these became formidable weapons to fend off mashers. Case in point. (laughs) In the Smithsonian Magazine article by Karen Abbott, she recounts this story. Quote, on May 28, 1903, Liotti Blaker, a young Kansan during her New York, uh, touring New York, boarded a Fifth Avenue stagecoach at 23rd Street and settled in for the ride. The coach okay. was crowded, and when she jostled, she noticed that the man next to her settled himself inches closer to her. Uh-huh. She made a silent assessment, elderly, mm-hmm. elegantly dressed, benevolent, uh, benevolent, benevolent, benevolent. benevolent. I can, can do speak it. words. I, you know benevolent. what? <laughs> I can speak words today. <laughs> Thank you, Florida. Uh, benevolent looking, in yeah, quote. Very good, you did it. So the horse is picking up speed. The stage, uh-huh. the stage is jumping around, tossing okay. passengers at one. We've been on a train. We've been on a, on a um, on a Brooklyn on a New York City train. We know yeah. how it goes back and forth, a, right? I, I feel like I have this story in my history. Go on, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, all of a sudden, forgive the uh, ringing phone. So all of a sudden, the man has his hands on her hips. Oh shit. And then her shoulders. And then he lifted his arm. So what he what, so what he does is he gets closer to her. So now her hip is touching his, I meant. And then her right. shoulders. So he's right up uh-huh. on her. Then he yeah. takes his arm and puts it around her. Oh, no, he doesn't. Go on. Go right? on. Right? And mm. she's like, enough. So in a mm-hmm. move that would thrill victims of modern day subway harassment, she reached for her hat pin nearly a foot long and plunged yes. it into the meat of the man's arm. Yes. He let out a terrible scream and left uh-huh. the coach at the next stop. Bye. So Liotti <laughs> goes on to recount, quote, he was such a nice looking old gentleman. I was mm. sorry to hurt him. She told the New York world. <laughs> I've heard about Broadway mashers and L mashers, but I didn't know Fifth Avenue had a particular brand of its own. If New yeah. York women will tolerate mashing, Kansas girls will not. End quote. Yes. So yes. a few other of these hilarious tales, because he these men are fucking around and they find it out in the moment. And I love it. Mm. I love it for mm-hmm. these ladies. Mm. So, yes. a New York City housewife fended off a man who brushed up against her on a crowded Columbus Avenue streetcar and asked if he might see her home. So she took out her hat pin and did the business. OK, OK. A Chicago showgirl bothered by a mashers insulting questions beat him in the face with her umbrella until he staggered <laughs> away. Mm-hmm. A St. Louis school teacher drove her would be attacker away by slashing his face with her hat pin. Yes. So basically working women and suffragettes and high end uh, high class suffragettes seize control of the conversation about speaking out about these guys. So it's all about, you know. It's it's just it's street her and again keep in mind during this time women had to put on at least three layers of clothing before they yeah. even put on the corset. Yep. And then they put on the corset and the 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 dresses are going all the way down that it's actually dragging mm-hmm. on the yep. 
the dirty behind street. Okay. Yes, nasty. It's nasty. And these men still can't control themselves. Okay. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's about the women. I think it's about the men. This is a new concept. I don't think it's about what the women are wearing. It's not what she's wearing because literally if a guy can't control himself because he catches uh, the sight of a booted ankle as a woman exits a streetcar or a bus. Then maybe he should cut off his own penis. I'm just thinking of ideas to help the situation. But like, um, because we live in a misogynistic world, Mm -hmm. even though these women are being harassed and even the men agree that mashers are a problem. Okay. After these cases of the women fighting back with the hat pins, a few cities eventually passed, even though they passed an anti-mashing, anti-flirting law, whatever, to kind of control the men. Well, now that we can't talk to women at all because you passed these laws. The fine was about $5 a week, which is not, Um, at the time, it was like worth a a week's worth of wages. But occasionally... And occasionally they would go to jail if they couldn't pay. But it really was considered more of a nuisance than an actual threat to women's bodily autonomy. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But also, mashers weren't just harassing women. They were bad for business. Business. Big business. Mm. Mm-hmm. Businesses yep. and like department stores, which were, get, again, becoming really popular during this time. And posh hotels were also eager to clear their sidewalks of mashers so women could feel safe coming in and spending money. Yup. Capitalism. You know? Again, and the suffragettes, the women who have time and money, the uh, higher class ones, you know, they also uh, raise their voices to get better street lights and policing. But again, some things were done, but not really a lot. Right. Okay? And you need police officers who are definitely going to protect you and be on your side. And I'm just pontificating here that maybe not all of them would do that. Just throwing that out there. And, and it's all over. And this is a problem all over the world. Uh, but, you know, obviously we're focusing, focusing on America because we are Americans. Um, but like this. So mashers, instead of just really going after these guys and really making it clear that this is unacceptable behavior, they kind of give them a slap on the wrist, even though this is impeding capitalism and women's safety. So women took yep. it upon themselves and a whole a couple industries popped up around the idea of protecting yourself against mashers and self-defense in general. As okay. early as 1898, entrepreneurs began selling gadgets for self-protection to women, such as small pistols that would shoot anything from small okay. pellets of pellet or paper bits to facial uh, powder and cayenne pepper. Yeah. In effect, the first pepper spray. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, also... And this leads me back to that very famous, um, um, it's actually a photograph of a self-defense move from a woman, uh, a, a woman, a, a uh, gilded age dressed woman, again, fully dressed and a man attacking her from the back and her defending Ugh. herself to take out the hat pit. Yes. Um, but also British suffragettes, uh, suffragettes started uh, the study of jujitsu. Japanese martial okay. arts. Yes. Uh, jiu-jitsu clubs formed in New York beginning in the 19 in 1901 and for and 5 years later a woman by the name of Virgie Drox brought in the martial arts to Los Angeles. Yes. Women took up boxing, uh punching, uh punching bags. Um it also led to more interest in sports like fencing, hockey, rowing and tennis just to be strong to um you know get these guys 
protect yourself. Yes. And again, it wasn't just a problem in America. It's a problem all over the world. By 1909, the hat pen was considered an international threat with the police <laughs> chiefs in Hamburg and Paris. Because again, it's not about policing the masters. It's like, whoa, 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 no. ladies. You're defending yourselves with these hat pens? What's up with these hat pens? What's up with the mashers? He What's was up just with the talking mashers? to you. Calm down. <laughs> no, he... Yeah. yeah. So again, this is a story of it's not really surprising, but I think it's just so fascinating um, to like the story of it. And it was so the men became afraid that they were going to get slashed. But it's like, are you mashing women? If you're not a masher, then women are not going to. Yeah, exactly. Like, slash like, your face. Women aren't trying to slash men's faces for no reason. That's not yeah. fun. You might get blood on your clothes. You know what I'm saying? It's exhausting. You have better things to do. Yeah. So, so again, by 1909, the hat pen was considered an international threat. International. With police chiefs in Hamburg and, and Paris considering measures to regulate the lengths of the hat pens. Oh, yeah. That's the And problem. in Chicago in 1910, they, they did just that. In March of, of that year... Chicago City Council began debating an ordinance that would ban hat pins longer than nine inches. Any woman caught in violation would be arrested and fined $50. Now, if $5 was a week's wages, $50 was uh, a little bit over a month's wages, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. So during this... this debate, the proceedings were packed with curious spectators, men and women, and acrimonious from the start. Enter, enter our woman, Nan yes. Davis. Okay. Nan okay. Davis was uh, a steel manufacturer heiress and drama student mm-hmm. uh, who stepped into the fray. Now, she okay. had previously written the board an open letter in which she wrote, quote, a woman is no more permitted to carry a revolver or other weapon than is a member of the sterner sex. Before leaving a streetcar, I always carry a hat pen ready in my hand until I am safe within the door of my home. Mm. Many a time it has proved its need. Thousands of other women undoubtedly can speak from their experience of how a stout hat pen has been an effective defense in the time of danger. Yes. End quote. Now, because she was a young heiress, well off. Because of her poise and passion at the board meeting, she was chosen to represent several women's clubs and reportedly made a fantastic speech to the committee. And she concluded, quote, if the men of Chicago want to take the hat pins away from us, let them make the streets safe, end quote. Just basic common common sense. It's not even that hard, you know, come on. But despite her impassioned speech, the, ordin- the ordinance passed by a vote of 68 to 2. <laughs> Jesus. And after this, similar laws uh, popped up all over the country, inc- including in Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, uh, Baltimore, and New Orleans. Yeah. And also, that feels right. Yeah. And t- 10,000 miles away in Sydney, Australia, 60 women went to jail rather than pay the fines for wearing murderous weapons in their hats. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Even in London, uh-huh. uh, the the ladies were like, we're not giving up our uh, hat pins because this is for protection. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, again, these women just want to walk down the street without yeah. being harassed. They just want to be a person. Oh, my they, God. They find a way to protect themselves. And instead of the men in charge of the laws being like, well, yeah, obviously, if the women don't feel safe, let's 
really yeah. go after these mashers. No, we're going to nope. outlaw the thing that they're using yeah. to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, now the Chicago, um, some believe that the Chicago law made the ordinance made it a uh, masher situation worse uh, in July of 1912. So that was 1910 when this ordinance passed in July mm-hmm. of 1912, one South Chicago judge fed up with the, sh- uh, the street uh, flirts, put out an itemized list of anti-masher fines. Historian Ooh. care. So it didn't make it. It just got worse, actually. Yeah. Right. I mean, because, because the women can't protect themselves and are well, using the pens. Damn, you know, white men just love a status quo. You know what I'm saying? They're just like, let's just keep doing what we do. And then the lawmakers are like, great idea. So they pass a law. Um, mm. They pass a law against the hat pens, and then they're surprised that the situation yeah. of the mashers got worse. I, so yeah. they finally, so one judge, he finally in, uh, increased the fines for mashing. So for a kiss by a masher, the Jesus. fine would be $100. Okay. For a wink, forty dollars. For an ad- for each additional winks, another forty dollars. Oh my god! For a covert glance, ten dollars. Okay. Yeah. Uh. So the judge explained that this was, uh, you know, this wasn't this didn't cover all of the masher behavior, but it was no. a good start. Again. Okay. Too little, too late. Yeah. Um, but I will say, so that's a little bit, I don't know that much more about Nan Davis, but I think she's just a good figure to kind of set up this whole thing of the hat pin peril. This is um, so cool. Yeah. Now, some things did come out of the ordinance and also the the attention or even the moniker of hat pin peril because it was mm. literally in the newspapers. <laughs> so that's eventually... Amazing. Police uh, precincts began hiring more women to specifically curb the masher problem. And this opened the door to more female police women joining the ranks. But in the end, I mean, women were not giving up their hat pants. First of all, it was part of their fashion. And also it made them feel safe just to walk to Bloomingdale's or wherever. Uh, But in the end, what actually killed the hat pen, it wasn't the laws. It wasn't any of... Uh, that the masher stopped mashing and being mm. nuisances and stopped being rapey um, yeah. or rapists in some cases. Yeah. What what killed the hat pen was the world just moved on. Fashion. Yeah. Fashion, darling. Big hats just went out of style. And that gave way to more sleek and pared down uh, silhouettes uh, such as those of the flapper wardrobe. Oh, you know, but by this so, time, I don't imagine women are now they're getting into pepper spray because they yep. need because masters are still a problem to this very, very day. I mean, I was in New York and people had pepper spray and mace on their keychains. Like, yes, that's normal. I was on a subway once. I'm going to share a story. And this was 25 years ago. And I remember being it's a very crowded train. It's a very crowded train. And at one point, I'm like, okay, we're really crowded. Okay. And what I think is really interesting, because I remember this moment, and I'm very like protective of myself. And I'm very like, you know, I think self aware. And yet, I'm feeling like, wow, this is like, really crowded. Like this guy's like, up against me. This is bizarre. Yeah. And a woman to like, my left, the guy was on my right woman to my left, goes, is this guy your boyfriend? And I was like, oh my, I like kind of yelled, oh my God, no. And she just like, her son was like sitting in a, in sitting. She pulled him up and said, go ahead, sit down. And like, this is why women have to protect each other. Because I didn't even, 
I didn't even realize it. It was so kind of slow going yep. that I, he was yep. like rubbing up against me. And yep. then like, he just didn't say anything. It was very bizarre. And we just spent the rest of the subway train talking about him very loudly and mocking him. It was just so bizarre. Like my point is this shit is still happening now. And it didn't occur to anybody that we should do anything about it. Yeah. And you know it's I mean? just sort of like, well, ladies, you have to endure, right? Endure. Yeah. That, you know, that men, boys will be boys, men will be men. And it's like, you know, I used to do a thing and I didn't even re- really realize that it was just self uh, survival. I used to do a thing um, when I lived in New York and just when I was younger, a guy would like flirt with me, even if I was not interested um, or if I was interested, but I just wasn't interested in that moment. I would say, right. oh, that, oh, that's sweet. But my boyfriend wouldn't like that. And I remember yep. a girlfriend of mine being like, oh, why don't you just say you're not interested? And I was like, well, because I, I think I couldn't put really words to it, but it's because yeah. of this, because I don't know how oh, yeah. the fact that this, tw- this Twitter thread where the woman was saying the guy said he would, um, he would have blacked out on her. And later on, she's, he's talking her up like there's like, like this is not a problem, right? He's yep. talking her up. Yep. And imagine saying to a woman, oh, if you hadn't given me your number, let me buy you a drink. I would have gotten violent. Let's start dating. Huh? I, yeah, I don't understand it. And I, honestly, like my no was always what I I had so many fake boyfriends. I can't even tell you how many fake boyfriends oh, yeah. I oh, had. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember at one point, cause then I had like a, I was like fake boyfriending it for a while. And then I had a real boyfriend and the, there was, and so was like, didn't don't. Cause I said something like, Oh, he's my new boyfriend. And they're like, don't you, didn't you, have a boyfriend like I was like oh yeah, yeah. we broke up um <laughs> <laughs> so guys will have a fake girlfriend in Canada who used to be a, a supermodel mm-hmm. and women will have just sometimes, to, you know yeah. <laughs> they do that just to be like yeah I'm not either I'm not um I'm not not straight or uh yeah right. I'm I'm you know I'm I'm not a loser whereas guys mm-hmm. will have a fake boyfriend just so they can get home without being murdered yeah yeah like or harass, like, you know, and this is the thing, again, that's that's what annoyed me about the whole Chris Rock, uh, Will Smith thing. Again, I'm not excusing Will Smith's behavior. I'm just saying I understand it. Um, <laughs> because a lot of guys, a lot of guys I consider good guys were like, you mean to tell me that Chris Rock is still mad at Jada for something 20 years ago? Yes, motherfucker, yeah, yes. Because yeah. a lot of these guys, because the kind of guy that behaves this way is trifling. They, as we say, trifling, uh, petty. They mm-hmm. will hold a grudge. Men will hold a grudge because you turn them down for a drink, guys. Men listen yeah. to us. They don't show you this type of behavior. And sometimes they do and you guys ignore it. But if, you're, if your homeboy is likely to get like fit, verbally abusive towards a woman because she doesn't smile the way you want he thinks she should smile or accepts his mm. you know his advances uh this is why women have to come up with fake numbers uh this oh, is why yeah, hundred thousand percent i've dated online on and off throughout the years and i love also uh like i, I always love the ones that it takes a while for you actually to get to the guy talking to you. But now I love the ones where you could talk through the app and you don't have to give them your number. That's genius. That's because genius. even when you go out with a guy and I'm, I date like a grown woman, you don't know what my car look like. You don't know where I live. Mm-mm. You don't know any of that until like we six months in, like mm-hmm. till you're pregnant and married. Okay. <laughs> 
you don't because you don't know i had a girlfriend uh, that say that she had been dating this guy she had gone out like three or four dates and she says just all of a sudden he just started freaking out on her yeah. in the car on the way back to her apartment and she was just she had to just sit there she was like she had never seen him he i think something happened like maybe a guy was flirting with her or something and he just flipped oh, out shit. on her and she was terrified and yeah. then he kept calling like, I'm sorry, you know, I did that, you know, but mm-hmm. why would you talk to me? And it's like, because, you know, there's this old saying, men are terrified that women will laugh at them and women are terrified that men will murder them. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you, I remember, like, it's funny, this whole thing is just bringing it all back to me. I remember being in like bars mm-hmm. and like, meeting guys and like being like with girlfriends and then guys would like flirt and whatever. And and I remember every, you know, so often the guy, you know, a guy rubs you the wrong way. You're just like, no, it's, you're not my type. I don't like you. You're cocker. And I remember like a couple of times this has happened where I'm like, no, I'm not really. No, thank you. I was like, you know, like trying to be funny and cute so that they don't get mad, but saying no. And they would just be like, you like to say no, huh? Like every sort of like, gentle like put down but like gentle like no thank you was like oh she's flirting oh she likes me i'm like i like you cannot read rooms sir no Um, the only thing these guys respond to is if another man is around a guy told me that once actually he said guys only will back off if they know another guy is sniffing around yep Yep. So it's crazy. There's that. But all right. Uh, so that is my notorious woman. It's Nan Davis and the hat pin peril of oh the God. Gilded Age. <laughs> I I love this story so much. I was so excited. Love I'm glad. It's awesome. I'm glad. So who's all your right. notorious woman this week? Okay. So my notorious woman, I'm so excited about her. Okay. Do you remember a woman? Um It's not who I'm going to talk about. We should talk about this woman, but not today. Lucille Ball. Little, little known woman named Lucille Ball. Little Lucy. Mm -hmm. Little Lucy. I love you, Lucy. Mm -hmm. Who who created her own show based on her life back in the day as a woman, you know, and the old. Okay. So before Lucille Ball, there was a Jewish woman. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Named Gertrude Berg. Ever heard of her? Gertrude Berg. No. And I am. Mm-hmm. Please tell me more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because we all should have heard of her. Okay. So she was born. Okay. So I, there's not. Okay. So the bullshit is there's not a ton about her to find. Of course. So not. if people know more, please share. So since she was born, Tilly Edelstein. My guess is that Tilly, because I'm Jewish and she's Jewish, my guess is she's Gertrude, but they called her Tilly. Okay. Jews just that like love a nickname. Love a nickname. I'm just, we yeah. love a nickname. I also think it's a very American thing. We love a nickname. Like, But we do like weird nicknames. Oh, do you? <laughs> so you yeah, guys do like, nicknames that are not, <laughs> that don't like necessarily Shecky. make sense. Yeah. Okay. Or gotcha. like gotcha. Cookie or like. Shecky Green. Yeah. I know who Shecky Green is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> or Shushi, or you know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. So, um, she was born 1899 in East Harlem, uh, New York City, right? Manhattan. Uh, her father was Jacob. Her mother was Dinah. They were, um, her father was from Russia and her mother was from England. Now, 
her mother was chronically unstable because it seems that Gertrude had a brother, so her mother lost a son. Um, oh, good. And in the days of of get over it, move on, you have another child. What's wrong? Um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Right. So she had a series of nervous breakdowns and she later died in a sanitarium. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Aww. It's very, I mean, do you ever watch the show? Oh, I forgot what it's called. But it was very famous about doctors in like the 1900s. In early oh, 1900s. Dr. Blake or something? Or no. The Blake I can't remember. Or but it's like, it Murdoch did really Mysteries? Well. No, but I love Murdoch Mysteries so much. This took place in New York City and there was like a sad, tragic, a baby died. It was a doctor's baby of something. So they just brought the mother another baby. Oh, no. You're talking about the one with my mm, my baby daddy, my head, Clive yes. Owen. Uh, yeah, Clive the, Owen. The Nick. The Nick. The Nick. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So like their, their concept of, of psychology and psychiatry was, we'll just replace that baby. It'll be fine. Um, yeah. Not, yeah. Not cool. Not cool. Um, so in December of 1918, she was enrolled in a playwriting extension course at Columbia University. And there she met her husband, Louis Berg, uh, and she married him that same year. So they seem to have a lovely relationship. They had two kids, Cherney and Harriet, uh, born in 1922 and 1926. And so her father had a Catskill Mountain Resort in Fleischman's, New York. And that's where she learned, like, theater stuff. Okay. Oh, I love this. Um, P.S. Fleischmann's New York has like four people living in it. It's the tiniest town. <laughs> is this part of the Borscht Belt? Yes. Borscht Belt. This so is part of the like Borscht Belt. Okay. Yes. Four people. And then in the summer, 400,000 people. Like maybe I'm exaggerating. It's totally possible. But, yes. And for our yeah. listeners, the Borscht Belt is uh, its kind of like the Chitlin Circuit. It's where like a lot of um, comedians would travel around to different clubs. Uh, that were owned by Jewish Americans. And so uh, they would hone their craft there. And it's very, very popular during the vacationing yep. season. So, And that's like once they let Jews buy a thing, then other Jews would be like, ooh, I could make my way through that thing. Right? Right. So um, her husband worked at a sugar factory. Um, but the factory burned down. So, you know, there's no unemployment, Right. So they right. just like no jobs. Um, so she had been developing some writing and she had a semi autobiographical skit and she turned it into a radio show. Now, the skit was about a Jewish family in a Bronx tenement. And this woman, and one of the reasons I love her so much is that, and it's such a stupid reason for me to love her, is that she writes her scripts by hand. Like, Ouch. I don't know, because I know, like, I have carpal tunnel talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. But I'm also like, I have a whole, I have a whole ass business that I write by hand. Like, all of my notes are handwritten. My poor husband has to take all those scratchings and put it on the computer, you know, for government purposes. You I mean, know. to be fair, that's probably what most, how most people wrote their scripts back then. 
because well, it even was though we like, had the typewriter, but yeah, still, we had like, and that they was had a typewriter. They did oh, have a typewriter. I got you. Got she you. was like, nah. And so she apparently wrote this script and somehow got an appointment at NBC. And this is like early. This is like the twenties, right? So it, it was a little easier to get an appointment at NBC. You know what I'm saying? Like right now, like you and I could probably not get an appointment at NBC. Yeah, it was a lot uh, more informal back then. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the executive she met with complained that he couldn't read what she wrote. So she grabbed the script and read the whole thing aloud to him. The performance she gave sold the idea for the radio program and it cast her as the lead actress on the same program. Oh, now that is a hustle. That's what okay. I'm talking about. She's like, my family is hungry. I am funny. Let's yep. go. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. So she kept writing the show scripts by hand in pencil for as long as the program was on air. And it was on air a long time. So let's talk about her, her rise. Yes, please. Because I'm dying. I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, what is the name of this program? So okay. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to die a little, but like in a good way. On November 20th, 1929, a 15-minute episode of The Rise of the Goldbergs was first broadcast on NBC Radio Network. Okay. Oh. So you know the Goldbergs? There's an original. Okay. I love the Goldbergs. I know, I know you, you don't do. necessarily love the Goldbergs because you're a bad Jewish woman. Listen, um, it's triggering. Okay. <laughs> but this black woman loves Mama Goldberg. She's a bit much, but Wendy plays her so well. I love the Goldbergs. I love Barry, uh, the brother who is way over the top. Uh, yeah. And I love Pops. I love Pops. Anyway, I love Pops. I love the Listen, I appreciate the Goldbergs. I just don't know that I could like go there. And I do think there's something to be said for like loving like a very cultural show because yes. you're immersed in a like in a culture that differs from the, you know, the general American the culture. Yeah. It's the same though. Like that's it's why I love same. it so much. Cause it yeah. reminds me of my own family. Like, well, you know, <laughs> it's like our, my whole family's obsession with the show family reunion. We're obsessed with the show. Gotcha. Gotcha. And we've seen every episode. I cried the last episode. It was so beautiful. Have you um, watched uh, Wanda Sykes' show? No, but I'm... Upshaws? Oh, my God. You, you would love the Upshaws. It's really listen, good. Listen, really that's fun. next. Because yeah. it's the same thing, but there is a layer of separation. So yeah. you're not triggered. I got you. Know you know what I mean? <laughs> that's my I mean, theory. Because I'm, I feel like a Jewish woman inside. Uh, yeah. Because I told you I love... Uh, a prickly Jewish woman. Oh, I love it. I mm. love a prickly Jewish woman. That's why we're friends. <laughs> Listen, and you've seen my ass. So, you know, <laughs> you know, just. <laughs> but tell me more about the rise of the Goldbergs. Let, I love let me it. tell you more. Okay. So uh, it was broadcast 1929, November 20th. She started at $75 a week. Okay. 1929. Less than two years later. Heart of the Great Depression, y'all, 1931. She let the sponsor propose a salary, and she was told, quote, Mrs. Berg, we can't pay a cent over $2,000 a week, end quote. 75 to 2000 wow. a week, which is like... What is okay, that, Miriam? If someone wanted to give me 2000 a week... I would be very excited. Now, granted, I wouldn't be super 
rich, but I would be rich. Like, you know what I'm saying? A week, that's, that's, I would be good. I would be solid, right? So multiply by 20. So is what, uh, by 10,000. You doing math? I don't even, no, I don't even know how to do it. No, yeah, no, it's a lot, a you lot are of money. So wrong, you are. I so did the wrong. math edit. I figured out that it's a lot of money. Okay, so a lot of money. That's my math. Um, that's why my husband is in charge of math homework at this point in my children's lives. Okay, it is forty thousand um, dollars a week. That's what two thousand dollars is. He says, um, "Oof, my." Mm, I wish we were related. I bet you I'm related to her. Okay. I mean, that, so, that's about, I mean, that's where it should be for a hit show, you know? Eh, that's uh, Yeah, exactly. And here's what I love about her husband, Lewis, right? So he became, so he had lost his job and then this happened, right? But then he, he did become a successful consulting engineer. Um, and he refused to be photographed with his wife for publicity purposes because he felt that was infringing on her success. Oh, that's Bay there. That's Bay. Yeah. That's a keeper. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's 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 your baby's daddy right there. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's like all they have to say about him because that's all they need to say about him. Okay. He's a smart man. He's like, baby, go out and make that money. I will be in the background. <laughs> Yes. Right. I'm going to live a very, very successful life. Um, so she was the writer, producer, star of the show. She created virtually an entire neighborhood of characters and incidents. Um, she won an audience that eventually numbered in the millions. The show so actually forty thousand yeah. dollars is too little, but go ahead. <laughs> I mean you know what? You're right. You're right. But also, if someone wanted to pay me $40,000 a week, I'd be okay with that. I'm yeah, the only saving grace is that, that it's what a 15, did it remain a 15 minute show? Yeah, it was short. Okay. I'm not exactly yeah. sure, but it was, it was short and it was broadcast, but it was broadcast five times a week. Um, yeah. Hopefully she got a raise over that. Throughout I the mean, time, I'm sure so. she did. Yeah. Um, And she also published a book entitled The Rise of the Goldbergs, which I think was the first season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it aired weekly until 1934, and then it was broadcast briefly again in 1936, and then again in 1937. Um, and then it aired regularly from 1938 to 1945, and had, so it was 20 years. It was it had a last run in 1949 to 1950. So she became, like, identified as Molly Goldberg. Like when I like if you Google Molly Goldberg, you'll find Gertrude Berg like immediately Um, because she played this character so well and so much. Um, And the show was really about it's a it's a Jewish family from the Bronx who moved to Connecticut as a symbol of upward mobility of American Jews. Um, She also wrote a Broadway adaption in 1948 called Me and Molly. Um, and then she finally convinced CBS to let her bring the Goldbergs to television in 1949. Wow. So, I mean, here's what I have to say. I Anti-Semitism, like I, I feel like a lot of even like Jews now, modern Jews, I didn't realize this. 
we think we're basically white and we're fine. But before World War II, we were very much second-class citizens. We could not get jobs in most places. It was really, really hard. My guess is her husband went from working, uh, you know, in a sugar factory to a good job consulting because she suddenly had power. Yeah. I mean, my, my grandfather blocked hats for 40 years. Like, yeah, that's just how it was. So get like, why wouldn't CBS just want to pick up the show immediately? It had millions of listeners. But they yeah, didn't. Because and they of were hesitant. Anti-Semitism. Yeah. Anti-Semitism. Yeah. But after World War II, things were they were a little bit like, our bad, you know. Um and so they they did do it. Um and she actually talks about how she was she wrote an autobiography, how she chose to depict like her Jewish grandfather's worship in the first episode of the broadcast show. And because she wanted to be very clear, this is a Jewish family. She was, and, yeah. and she's, she's, I mean, I, th- I, f- I feel my guess is that she did a lot for Jews in this country. I don't think yeah, we talk about her, but we should. Image is important. Like, you know, yes. this is soft. This is what we call soft power. Um, yes. And when you, you affect cultural change and it's done through the media. That's why all of this stuff's important, getting TV shows on the air. Um, and again, it's helpful for those who are not of that community because you get to learn. Like I love learning about, um, uh, side note, I learned about, I watched this documentary on uh, the history of uh, uh, Jewish comedy and just comedy oh. in, in general and American comedy, which is heavily influenced by um, uh, Jewish uh, traditions and it yeah. used to be this place they put up plays it's kind of it reminds me of the groundlings in shakespeare and the bad guy always had on striped pants <laughs> oh my god i did not know this <laughs> they cracked me up it's like because the audience knew as soon as he came out boo <laughs> he was a bad guy because he had on striped pants <laughs> oh my god that's, <laughs> and I hilarious. Think that's hilarious and again i love learning that because you know it's part of you know america is a, a gumbo i know people hate saying that but america is the land of the remix and so yeah, people to become an American, you come in and you add your, your bit of flavor. And we have heavy, heavy uh, Jewish, uh, Eastern European Jewish specifically uh, influences on American culture. And, you know, I love hearing about this. And she was smart enough to know, like to get this on television, A, which was the thing right. in the 20s. And then to get it, uh, I mean, to get in it on radio 40s. was the thing in the, yeah, in the uh, 20s. 20s yeah. And then to get it on television when that became a thing is huge. It's huge, yeah. huge, huge. Uh, to it, it just goes a long way in like acclimating people to like, oh, this is just like, like I said, I love the Goldbergs, the modern day Goldbergs, because it reminds me of my family, like my wacky, wacky fa- yeah. family. And it's a fun, fun show. Um, and that is what we call soft power, you know. So and that can power. Ch- it can it changes the narrative. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. It can be very powerful. Yeah. Like I love Lucy. Um, it's, you know, I this wacky Lucy. woman who owns her, her, you know, who's the head of the show, um, mm-hmm. who, you know, is about her and her friends. Um, and her name is in the, the title. Her name's in the title. Uh, even the Honeymooners. I remember watching that, obviously, on syndication yes. when Ralph is talking about abusing his wife to the moon, Alice. And she's like, yeah, you try it, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we need to see that. And yep. and I love that she did this. So, 
a total side note, she also wrote another radio series called House of Glass in 1935, and she wrote scripts for other shows. Um, oh, okay, good. Get so she she was yeah. So she was she was doing it. She was making it happen. Um. And so in 1951, she won the first ever Emmy Award for Lead Actress in a Television Series. Shut up. Yeah. She won the first? The first one given out. She won it. No. I'm like mad about it. (laughs) Does she have a a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? I don't think so. I didn't read anything about it. Shouldn't she? She won the very first Emmy for Uh Lead Actress in a comedy? Mm Mm-hmm. Television series. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And and the show would stay in production for five more years. I mean, you couldn't be more successful than that. I can't. No. I don't you even. Can't. And we should all know about her. Wow. I know, right? Um, so there's always some bullshit. So here's some bullshit. Um, in 1951, it wasn't even her. So her co-star, Philip Loeb, uh, who played... Uh, Molly's husband, Jake Goldberg, was one of the performers named in. All right, you're not going to be surprised. Um, mm. Yeah, the Red Channels. So, uh, the McCarthy, Hewak, House of an American Activities Committee. Um, Damn it! And he was blacklisted. I mean, it was part of. I mean, part of the. The blacklist was to really purge out Jewish yeah. people, black people who were speaking mm-hmm. out on behalf of civil rights. I mean, that's part of what it was. Like they say I it mean, was for communists, but no, it, it wasn't. wasn't. It was it 100. Wasn't. I'm going to go with 100%. It was 100% yeah. ideology that that there was a movement to support black people and Jewish people and anyone really who... Um, but I, but to a large degree, both of those groups, and you know, a society where we, it was a, purge. We, it was a it was, purge. It was a purge. It was a cultural purge, is what it was from yeah. Hollywood. That's what it was. Yeah. Fuckers. Um. So the series was canceled, and so the network and the sponsors insisted that he be fired as a condition of the show's return to air. Now she fought this. She didn't want to do that, but Loeb resigned rather than cause her trouble because she was very much loved. Yeah. He fell on the sword. Um, Yeah. And he reportedly received a very generous severance package, but he unfortunately sank into depression and died of suicide in 1955. Oh no. This, this it's bullshit. And then people talk about cancel. No, the blacklist really was when people were canceled. You want to know how to cancel someone? Let's go to Huwak and talk to McCarthy. Okay. Like that's yeah. And one of our, uh, you know, and one of our previous notorious ladies, Hedda Hopper was right in the mix. That bitch. Mm. (laughs) So go back. That bitch was probably like, yes. Yeah. If you want to know more, we go into detail. Yeah. Oh, she was such a bitch. Okay. Sorry. Uh, an alleged bitch. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, so they did, the Goldbergs did return a year after he had left the show, continued until 1954. 
Um, and she had then written and produced a syndicated film version. The show remained in syndicated reruns for another few years. And one year of production after one year of production and 39 episodes. The series is apparently currently seen on the Jewish Life television cable network. Oh, so you all Jewish yeah. Life. What did you say? Jewish, Jewish Life television. Oh, I didn't know Le- that was a thing. Let me pretend I did. Um, what? I, I mean, they do have a K-drama local station right? that you get a yes. cozy, you know, if you get the air channels. <laughs> so I get it. Uh, but you can YouTube some stuff because I did that. That I did. Now, so do they she, YouTube the rise of the Goldbergs or just the Goldbergs? It's there's the only thing that I found, but I got to look again. And it, uh, this was a while ago that I found this. Um, there she does a situation comedy 1961. This was the last thing she did for television, which uh, Mrs. G goes to college and they oh. retitled it the Gertrude Berg show in the middle of the season. And she played a 62 year old widow who enrolls in college. And it is hilarious. I She's love so that. good. She's so why good. Why haven't they revamped that? <laughs> I, I don't know because like the Goldbergs that's on, that's been on, which is great. Yeah, which is There's great. No, One of my like, favorites. <laughs> the, it's not an homage to her, even though like I, I'm connecting. I got dots, it, Miriam. You know, I got oh. it. Okay. Fran okay. Drescher, who's also yes. one of our earlier subjects, mm-hmm. needs this needs to be Fran Drescher's new show. Fran, if Just you're saying. listening, I'm assuming <laughs> you're listening Y'all send Fran this episode. Thanks. Yep. Um, we're here to help you with yes. the reboot. Okay. Yes. Yes. Like you just need anything. Okay. From this your is, notorious totally women watch, friends. Okay. I watch the hell out of it because Fran Dresch is a hottie, of course. So obviously I mean, it's going to be a different, it's going to be a different show, obviously. Cause I would imagine that Gert, Gertrude was a little bit more matronly looking. She was like the matri- matriarch. Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. like Fran Drescher's like hot and like, but going back to college, come on, that writes itself, guys. I'm like, come on. I'm like watching it now in my head and it's so funny, but it's yes. not, it hasn't even been made yet, but I can still see it. Yes. Okay. Maybe I should see but a doctor, the but strike. that's not the point. After, after the, strike, the strike, after the course. strike and after they get all their money that they deserve right. and after AI does not make versions of them. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Give, give us our money. So, SAG after is on yes. strike. So. Okay. Writers are still there with us. They are yep. su- super supportive still. Yep. Yes. Um, so she kept working in theater. In nineteen fifty nine, she won the Tony Award for Best Actress for her performance Holla. in a play called Yeah. Yeah, I said it. It's true. She won an Emmy uh, and a Tony? Emmy okay. and a Tony. And nobody okay. knows her. What the hell? Okay. And also, like in nineteen fifty nine, which I understand young people are like, that was decades and billions of years ago, but honestly, it wasn't that long ago. How do no. we not know about this? Wow. Um, the play was called A Majority of One. In nineteen sixty one, she won the Sarah Siddons Award for her work in Chicago theater. Um, and the memoir I talked about was called Molly and Me, which was published in 1961. Um, she died, which makes me so sad, at the age of 66. Oh, so young. In 1966. I know, right? Oh. Apparently heart failure. Oh. Um. I mean, she had a lot of highs, a lot of lows. I mean, and she's also writing all those scripts. Yeah. Pay I mean, women what they worth. Pay him. You know, like I Beyonce like say, bitch, pay yeah. me. 
Yes. Get what you're worth. Yep. Okay. And know what you're worth. I yeah. love her so much. Know your worth. I love that. Know your worth. That might be mm-hmm. the title of this episode. I think that should be the title of this episode. Yep. Okay. Yes. Or it's bitch pay me. No. Bitch pay me. Also good. <laughs> also good. We'll see. <laughs> okay. I'll let you be the final judge. Bitch back off and pay me. It is funny. Uh, I, I'm oh, sorry. Now I'm riffing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that that is what I have of of Gertrude Berg. And if anyone has more fun facts about her, I'm like a fangirl. So Yeah, this is tell amazing. Me everything. Yes, yes. Please tell us more about uh Gertrude Berg and Nan Davis. Again, I'm sorry I wasn't able to find more, but it was more for the women of yeah. the hat pin peril. <laughs> they Sometimes. really were my notorious women. <laughs> Sometimes we're going to talk about it all. You know, sometimes that's what happens here. That's good. I'm good with that. Yes. I love that both of these ladies were ladies that we could be proud of and not the yeah. other kind. Like you're like notorious <laughs> for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Which we'll probably get back to next week. But oh, yeah, yeah. again, <laughs> I love a murderess. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well- well, on that note, we are going to wrap it up. And I forgot to do, uh, our producer's going to be so mad at me. I forgot to tell you guys to subscribe and tell your friends about us at the Listen, top of the Listen, you guys, show. don't tell our producers we did that. Just if they ask, be like, oh, they totally said it at the top of the they show. They totally said it. But yeah, I'm saying it now. Mm-hmm. Find us on all the things. Yep. Subscribe, like, write, write a five-star review, especially in the Apple that. Store. Please. Yeah. Really, really appreciate that. And again, we always say every week, don't just tell your friend about our fabulous podcast. Copy the link and send it to them. Yeah, that would be helpful. Thank you. Very, very helpful. Um, And that will wrap it up for this uh, latest episode of the Notorious Women podcast. Uh, I am going to let Miriam tell you about how you can support our show on our social media uh, platforms, but also... If you want to support our show financially, you can support it on our Patreon at patreon.com slash Notorious Women. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Notorious Women. You can become a patron for as little as $2 a month. Uh, you can also do a one-time donation to help our show if you want to show some support. But again, yep. downloading, subscribing, and sharing is free. Free, free, yes. free. So do I'm that for helpful. us. So um, we have an Instagram, which is so easy. Notorious Women Podcast. Um, come join us there. Like our stuff. It's fun. I really love it. It's become my baby a little bit. Um, and we also have an email. So notoriouswmpod at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts or ideas, go ahead and email us. Um, we also are on TikTok. Also, so easy. TikTok, tickety talk. TikTok can't afford it. Stop singing this now. See, um, I changed the notes, so it'll be fine. Um, um, uh, it's Notorious Women Podcast on TikTok, and that is that is what we are. That is what we are, and we guys will see you. We guys, I I promise. Next week, I will yeah. talk more better. Um, because apparently Florida is taking its toll on me. So pray for me. Send help. Okay. You're going to be fine. All the gods, all the gods, girl. We got you. (laughs) Okay. All right, guys, we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.